to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Indy Lee. She's the founder and CEO of Indy Lee and Co. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured CMO of EOS Products, So Young Kang. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be here with Indy Lee. She's the founder of Indy Lee. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much. I cannot, I've been actually really looking forward to this all like last week after we kind of briefly spoke. I, I think this is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. So um, I'm going to start with my favorite question, but then I'm going to go to like, you know, a thousand different places. We're going to have um, a very wide ranging conversation. Amazing. Um, so you know that my favorite um, question to ask since we're a career journey podcast is to ask about your childhood goals. So um, when you were like 11, 12 years old and someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? A business person. <laughs> I probably said businessman, just not realizing that sadly that women could be business people, but I, I wanted to be in business. I remember like I can go way back, like way back. My father had a printing com printing corporation on Long Island and it was a family owned business. And I can remember going into this corporation and thinking one day I could be running this. And like, I would go into the art department and into the print machines and it was amazing. And I have like such a vivid memories of making my mom buy me like a three piece suit. I think it was like knickers, but like burgundy pinstripe, like vivid memories. So I know I wanted to be a business person and I also really loved art. That's so cool that you got to see um, a print shop in action. It's such a fascinating business. I know it's like kind of a, a messy business, right? Um, <laughs> the print shop floor is, you know, it's really a manufacturing facility. Yes. But um, it's so cool to have like that view as a kid that you're like, oh, this is how newspapers get made. This is how magazines get made. Yeah. It was amazing. Like I can remember going and watching magazines being cut on the, you know, huge bound folder cutter and like the stitch machines and how plates would be made. And then we even, I had my grandfather's old printing presses with like literally the letter types. So it's, you know, it's such fond memories. But what I remember is watching how business was being done. And that always struck me. And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to make things happen. And um, I, that's what I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to take over the family business. Did you ever work in the business? Well, yes. I mean, as a child, um, you know, <laughs> was it working or was it like my dad just had to bring me to work? Um, but I mean, I did a little bit. I more like intern helping, things like that when I was in high school. But um, when I went off to college, it was, yeah, I was going to, you know, go get a business degree, accounting degree and take over the family business. Unfortunately, my father did not embrace the digital tech world as fast as I wish he would have. Um, I remember him saying, oh, computers are a fad. And that business was not around that much longer. I'm like, dad. Um, and good thing my mother always said, you know, make sure you have a degree. And I, you know, had a degree in, in accounting and I went into accounting. 
So, um, you know, if anyone's ever um, met the brand, they know that your brand was really born out of a, a severe health crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're, you're sitting in front of me healthy and strong. So I feel like I can ask this question. Okay, ready sure. for this? So um, I'm ready. <laughs> you're in this health crisis. You're about to embark on a really dangerous, scary surgery that had the potential to save your life, but also the potential to not save your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you told me that, uh, before the surgery, you um, attain closure with everybody, even your high school boyfriends. Mm-hmm. So I really need to know, what does somebody say to a high school boyfriend? <laughs> I really before- did. I mean, I really did. I mean, I mean, it's not like I had a plethora of boyfriends. It was like one call, two calls. But um, I remember one of them I called just to make sure that there was closure. And I didn't, and I will never forget because they're like, are you dying or something? I'm like, no, no, no. I just like felt like, you know, things didn't always end the way, you know, we thought they would. And I just wanted to let you know, I think you're a really good person. And I'm sorry for anything that I, I might've ever done or said that hurt you. And then my, one of the other boyfriends who I was still very close with, I mean, he knew what was going on, but I said, you know, I want to apologize. Was there anything that I ever did? For me, it was less about me, but more about them. And I never, and I didn't just do this. I just didn't go to the, the two boyfriends. Like it was any friends from high school, any friends from my work life, my family, you know, there's no such thing as perfection, but I wanted to feel like if the surgery didn't go the way I thought it did, it was going to, there would be closure on their end. And even though I believed and knew in my heart that it was going to be a complete success, I wanted to wake up with the most phenomenal energy and the rest of my life in front of me with no regrets. And and that's what I did. That's incredible to... Um say to yourself that I'm ready for um, the next chapter like, and actually make the um, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, right? Because yeah. I guess you'd sort of have a bef- before cancer, after cancer, um, a, like thinking then, right? Like this was, this was like a different life I would imagine yeah. you were living before yeah. this diagnosis. For sure, for sure. And I always like to note, it, it, ironically, it wasn't even cancer. It was an autoimmune disease that was a brain tumor that um, they really didn't know what it was. And doctors said it could have been environmental, as I'm sure we'll go into, but it wasn't even cancer. What people don't realize is brain tumors are not always cancerous. They're not always um, malignant. They're, they can be benign, but just as life-threatening. But for me, the knowing that I could have a very finite amount of time left gave me this opportunity to, to do it on my, my terms. And I, I don't know, it was, it's such perspective because any conversations I have, I, I always have this feeling like this could be the last time I could talk to someone. Like you just don't know. And um, I don't know, I, I looked at it as this opportunity to create the life I wanted to moving forward. It's so fascinating. Number one, I didn't know that a brain tumor wasn't always cancer. I guess I just always associate it with that. Most people do, by the way. Right. (laughs) Um, But yes, we have like a a small amount of space in there and um, most of it needs to be dedicated to the functioning brain, right? There's not room for other invaders. Yep. Um, So you mentioned to me that prior to the diagnosis, you were a passenger in your own life. Mm -hmm. What what does that mean? It was, I was just going about the flow, right? I, I was... I was a check the boxer. Like, don't forget, I told you I'm an accountant. I was a type A. I am a type A personality. So I was checking the boxes of what I thought I had to accomplish in my life, right? I had the check the box. I went to college and I got my, you know, got my degree. 
then check the box, pass the CPA exam, then, you know, check the box and went off. And I had an incredible career at HBO managing international finance. It was phenomenal. I got to travel, but check the box that I had that career. Check the box. I had to have kids. I wanted a boy and girl. By the way, I didn't have control over that one, but it worked out well for me. Check, check. You know, I was literally checking the boxes and always looking at what did I have to go to next? What did I have to achieve next? And I forgot that the point to life wasn't going and achieving what's next. It was living in the now and being a part of the journey. It's not the end destination. It's this journey that we're on to get to wherever those things lead us. And I was just a passenger. And um, in the moment I was diagnosed and I got into the car, I realized, oh my gosh, the past 37 years, I've been checking the boxes of what I thought I had to accomplish in my life instead of actually living it. And like that snap of a finger, everything changed. And I realized I was no longer going to live like that. So indeed, prior to the diagnosis, were you like reading self-help books? Like was, was there any sort of like infusion of um, like visibility into another way of living that you were exploring? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm a practicing Buddhist. So I have been for over 20 years. So um, before this, I I already believed in self-care and the power of having faith and positivity and manifestations and, you know, everything under the sun. I had that understanding and I had that practice. And there are many things that I've accomplished in my life, both, you know, in my career and just, you know, had children and health concerns, etc., that could not be explained without that practice that I have for myself. However, I was still a passenger. So while I was still so positive, and I am one of those people who, yeah, I've had executive coaching. I've, I've, I've done, I've done it all. Therapy, you know, all those things, and try to be, really believe I am one of the most optimistic people you will come across. And I truly believe in living that way. But up until that point, I wasn't. I was reading it. I was doing it. I, but I wasn't part. I don't, it, it's this weird distinction, and everything changed. It was like. I saw it, but it wasn't crystal clear. It was, I always liken it to, okay, I had this vision of I understood about manifesting and abundance and living your life and energy and all that stuff. Um, and yes, I am somewhat woo-woo, but don't forget, I'm also like a nerdy accountant. Um, but it's like, okay, you see, you can see everything, but then you go to the doctors, the ophthalmologist or optometrist, and they go one or two, three or four, and you put those glasses and all of a sudden everything's like, whoa. I thought I was seeing, but now it's clear. It makes me think of this um, phrase that my friend once said to me. There's human being and there's human doing and we're human beings, right? So like the doing is a checking the boxes like, okay, Mm -hmm. I did it, I did it, I did it. But um, without really like thinking about it in like the deepest parts of your soul, you're not really being. Yeah, I wasn't. I, I, I was human doing, I was not human being. As I like to say, you know, we're all spiritual beings having a human experience, that saying. And it's so true. And while I thought I was pretty spiritual, I wasn't having the experience. I was doing it. Great distinction. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I was similar um, until I like was trying to get pregnant and I um, couldn't. And I went through the infertility process and like the first thing they tried didn't work. And like, I just, um, 
you know, I sort of had a breakdown breakthrough um, to start really listening to my feelings and um, understanding uh, myself in a way that I never, I wasn't like intimate with myself. Mm-hmm. Like I never really knew myself. I uh, kind of ignored myself. Um, and, um, you know, these crises, um, really help us see things in new light. And I do have a boy and a girl (laughs) now, um, through the powers of, um, medicine Mm -hmm. and I'm super grateful, but, um, I do see that experience is like that it needed to happen for me to start to see the, see my world in a brand new way. Yeah, I think that's what happened. These traumas and these experiences, you know, and it's not always traumas, but I do believe that we all have carried some of that. Um, it really helps us. It gives us that that perspective that sometimes, even though all the signs and people can say it over and over, and you can read every self help book and have all these gurus that you're following, but until you internalize it and then understand it for yourself in a way that's digestible, that's the only time it's going to change. You have to want it. Um, so to walk away from our woo woo conversation into a different <laughs> territory, you told me um, at the moment you were given this diagnosis, you sold my jewelry, you cashed in your 401k, you <laughs> yeah. went into credit card debt because you said, I'm a hustler. So what uh-huh. what was happening where you get a six months to live diagnosis and decide, let me start a business? Yeah, because that's that's normal, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> I look back at it on now, I'm like, I was nuts. Okay, so I get this diagnosis. I go see all these specialists, and they say, you have six months to live. And I go to the neuroendocrinologist, and I say, how is this possible? And he's, I said, nobody has this. And that's when he said, There's, we're seeing more and more of these things being tied to the environment. And I point out, you know, I have this organic greenhouse in my backyard that I eat out. And it's not like a little tiny hoop. It's 750 square feet. Like, I was in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was really in it. And um, that's when I said, yes, what you eat, what you surround yourself with, which, what do you put on your body? And that was that light bulb that I go, oh my gosh. You know, I had created some products for my nephew who was about to be born because I didn't want anything potentially harmful on his body, knowing about toxic load, knowing to the lack of regulation, all those things, never thought about the bigger picture. Even when people say, hey, you should create a baby line. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's 2008, clean beauty. And then I get this diagnosis. And in that moment, I was like, that this is happening for a reason was like clear. It was my awakening. It was the Oprah Winfrey aha moment, whatever you want to call it. I said, I'm going to create a line that's safe, that's effective, that looks beautiful on a shelf because 2008, 2009, it did not look like that. And more importantly, I really want to educate and empower others to live the healthiest version of their life, given everything that I was going through. Um, And I, you know, when you're given six months, you can decide how you want to live it. So when my kids were home, I was with them. But when they were at school, I was speaking to every aromatherapist, naturopathic, homeopathic, aromatherapy, you name dermatologist, to really understand skincare, the beauty industry. And I started creating. I likened myself that I was going to be the chic Martha Stewart. But I was like, I, I'm going to create this line. Like, I'm going to do this. And by the way, I was looking for a doctor who would give me different diagnosis and prognosis at the same time. But it kept me focused and it gave, I knew it was my mission. With every fiber of my body, I knew I wanted to create change. And I was like, well, we don't have any money. So I was like, I don't need these rings. I don't need this chain. Gold is at an all-time high. I can't take it with me. I might die. And I started selling my jewelry. Like, my mother was like, you are never having access to our vault. <laughs> like, you are never going like, to change And then I was like, well, that's not enough. So then I emptied the 401k. And then I was like, well, you know, 
couple years later, yep, we're going to need some more money. So, yep, I've got a credit card. And I just, I said, I'll figure it out. Everything's figure outable, but I have to do this. I want to create change. I want to live a legacy of change. I want to help other people. I believe that I was going to live for a reason. And I am still paying off the credit card debt. You know, but that, I have no regrets. Um, indeed, the, the topic for entrepreneurs of like financial insecurity is always so challenging. And everyone seems to experience it a little bit of a different way. Some some entrepreneurs I talk to, they're like, well, whatever, like, you know, kind of like you said, like, OK, well, the, the credit card that's there, but, um, you know, it's it is what it is. And eventually will go away um, or loans. And um, some people like me, like see it as sort of a um, like a zombie kind of character following me around. You know, sometimes it's really far away, but like mm-hmm. I always see its shadow. Sometimes it gets closer and, you know, makes my my neck tingly. Um, so do you think it was like your, um, health scare that made, made you kind of be like, whatever, like, it's fine. I'm not worrying about it. Um, I think to some extent, yes. Don't forget, you know, at first I was emptying money that I had, you know what I mean? It wasn't going to debt. So I was, I was literally taking things that I couldn't take with me if I was going to die to create something. And then the 401k, I was like, I really believe that I'm onto something. I'm going to, I believe in myself. This is an investment in what I believe in. Um, the credit card debt was like, I can't stop now. I'm already in it. Uh, I'm so, I am so far in it. I can't stop now. Um, and, and then, you know, we had some friends and family, um, also come in, et cetera. But I, I also felt like I needed skin in the game, which I clearly had in terms of what else am I putting in? Um, but I think that perspective of what I had gone through made me realize I, I'm, I'm in, like, I believe and, I, I'm not someone who says I don't believe it. I used to say I don't believe in failure, but I've come to rephrase that. I'm not going to be deterred. Failure is a great thing as long as you learn from it, but I'm not going to get deterred from what I want to do. And I know that what happened to me created that shift in my mindset, because if you would have asked me how I was described prior to it would be beige and bland and afraid of my own shadow. Like, really? <laughs> So your kids were, um, you t- I think you told me five and eight when you mm-hmm. got the diagnosis. Do you think that they saw a shift in you of the, the pre-diagnosis mom versus the post-surgery um, mom? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I don't know that my daughter, like, reckon- like, they see the difference. They see the hustle. They see the, the passion. But don't forget, my daughter was still so young in terms of her formative memories of things. My son, 1,000%. I mean, my gosh, he he sees it and they're so proud of me and what I've accomplished. It's so cool. I mean, my son, I can't even believe it, is now 20 in college. And he said, Mom, like, look at what you did from nothing. And he it's so cool. They they recently about two years ago, back, you know, when we were able to travel, they came with me to see me do some things on stage, like with um, Nordstrom Trend Show and like master classes. And they said, Mom, I had absolutely no idea this is what you can do. Like, they see me, you know, on the phone, you know, whatever. But they were like, whoa. They knew I wasn't the person who wanted to call the pizza man to order pizza. I was afraid of my own shadow. And now I'm getting on stage and giving me a mic and go, hey, let me tell you. So absolutely, they see it and they're so proud. And they know that it takes hard work to accomplish things. That sometimes, yes, things magical can happen and transpire. But it does take a lot of work and takes self-determination and belief in yourself. I love that they get to see this in you um, because when I started my business, I just, I had this, 
assumption, because I always felt like an outsider, that um, things were easier for other people, right? And for right. me, I was struggling. And that, like, for other people who had born into this or went to college with so-and-so, that all those things that I dreamed about were going to happen for them, but they might not happen for me. You know, it's um, so it's so beautiful that they actually get to see that, like, like their mom can make something happen. Therefore, they can yeah. make anything happen. Absolutely. Like, they saw, they know that what I went through was transformational. I mean, Jacob knows it from living, and Emily's seen it, and she sees parts of it and realizes some of it. But don't forget, like, just because I started the business, you know, so many years ago doesn't mean that all of a sudden I was a success. Like, they're they're now seeing the transformation at another level now. I mean, they used to see, um, you know, me go to Henry Bendel's and, you know, hawk my wares at a trunk show, and now they're like, oh, my God, your stuff is in every Blue Mercury. Like, they're like, What? So it's very cool. Or their friends will say, oh, my gosh, I saw your mother's product, <laughs> like an Ulta, what? So it's it's that's a, it's a whole different level that they have seen that part of the transformation of, of what has been created. It's so inspiring. And, you know, it makes me think of all this, like, passion and hard work, um, completely focused and rooted on your personal experience. I would imagine that um, this um, awful trend of greenwashing is pretty painful to see in the world. It is. It is. Um, you know, it's so funny. Way back when um, we used to have stickers on our products that said not greenwashed and people were like, what's greenwashing? And I mean, this was 2010 and I was using that term. And I said, you ever see a made with a, like a with a leaf on it? You know, that's kind of what it is. And it is really hard to watch. Um, but what I've learned is I cannot look at other people and what other people are doing. I need to just focus on what we can do and what we're going to do. And it goes to when people say, what's your competition? I said, it's ourselves. We just need to continue to up our own ante. If we start to look and compare ourselves to everybody else, we're going to lose focus on what we're meant to do. And everybody's on their own journey. But it does, it does kill me when I have to explain what it is. I'm like, oh, my God, you didn't know this? <laughs> right. So I think um, in service to the customer... I mean, she's really confused. You know, there's just, um, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, you know, here I am. I'm someone who, like, literally studies this, right? My team and I study this. And, you know, we'll look at a product and be like, wait, like, is this legit or not? Right? Um, so yeah. it's really easy to be um, tricked and confused. It's um, way too easy for brands to, like you said, just stick a leaf on the label um, and, like, you know. Yeah say you know cucumber and then people think that that means mm -hmm. means something made with made with you know organic cucumber and then they're like oh my god look this is a clean product it's made with organic cucumber yeah well turn over the label and see what else it's made at and it's hard so but what um i i mean i've been supporting clean brands for um i mean i can't even remember how long maybe yeah maybe it's like 2010 ish mm -hmm. um how do we help the customer here? Because she really does desire better. Um, and she deserves better. She deserves better. You know what she deserves? She deserves the truth. So as I like to say, you know the risk, you make the choice. And that's what I say. Like, even if I'm putting on a red lipstick that isn't clean, I know the risk. I make the choice. So what can we do is give her information. You know, knowledge is power. And that's why I've said my platform has always been to educate and empower so people can make the healthiest choice for themselves, but they deserve to know the truth. And that's why I think these conversations are so important. That's why the master classes that I do, the lives, the, you know, all those things, Clubhouse, going on all these different apps and being honest. 
never going to bash a brand, never going to, but I will talk about an ingredient. Right. So um, you do recommend any third party resources for customers to read so that they can learn like the language and, um, you know, unfortunately, like you have to like study chemistry to like really track this stuff. You really, honestly, you really do. Because even though there are some incredible apps out there, um, they're not necessarily getting the formulation and nor is a brand going to give them the formulation. So how are they making that decision that a product is good or bad? How are they staying up to date with the ingredient deck. Like I've had people say, I'm like, that's that that's not what's in our inky list. Like that's not our product. Like, what are you doing? You can't say that. That's not what's in my ingredient deck. Or yes, I might have glycolic or salicylic, but I have it at X percent, which is well below any caution signs. And there's a reason for it because it's in a product that's promotes clarity. So it's it's that education and it's really hard because there is no app that's going to be doing that. But what I do see is a lot of brands going for that third-party validation certification. Um, it's something we certainly have gone for. We've made the decision to go um, with Soil Association Cosmos. So certified Cosmos organic and certified Cosmos um, natural, depending on the product, you know, and the ingredients, but working towards, you know, going through all of our products slowly. And that, that certifies everything from the ingredient and how it was like the farming of the ingredient to the manufacturing, to the distillation, the cleaning, the, you know, it, it's a whole thing. It's not just like, here's the ingredient, here's the product. Was it certified? We are going through the entire process and to an EU directive. Um, I love that. I was, um, on an app for something that was not related to beauty and it was giving me um like the heritage of where the ingredient came from like you said like the farm or something mm-hmm. um and i was so surprised by the fact that an outside industry out of beauty outside of beauty was even <laughs> interested yeah. in that i think so i think transparency is what is being asked for radical transparency you know, what's amazing to me is I think as an industry, sometimes we're talking to ourselves because, you know, I have friends in my neighborhood who like literally like don't do anything with skincare, don't wear a stitch of makeup. Um, and there's like there's and and um, turn to me and say, what should I buy? Right. So now they're ready. Right. Maybe they turn 45 mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're seeing like, you know their skin behave in ways that they're not familiar with and want to um, evolve it. So it's amazing to me how much we do talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder if you have any thoughts on like how to actually reach people beyond these sort of, um, you know, uh, heavy users. You know, I think that the best thing that's been happening to reach people is just the mainstream retailers really embracing clean, right? You're seeing the Sephora's, the Nordstrom's, the Needman's, the Blue Mercury's, the Ulta's of the world have these sections of for clean beauty, conscious beauty, you know, however they're going to call it. Everybody has a different name for it. And so I see that the retailers are also providing, I think, but, but the hard part is not every retailer is consistent on what they're saying. So there's discrepancies amongst retailers. But the other great, great thing is that um, you've got clean retailers out there who are really giving you information, the credos, the full lanes, the detox markets, the alias of the world that are doing the work, providing the information and providing you with resources that are third party. So it's not like a brand is saying, hey, because it's hard, you know, I might say this, but you're like, yeah, well, you're selling products. So great, fine, go and see where we're sold. Go see the sections that were here. Go talk to the people in those, they are, they are brand educators 
true, you know, educators in this field and are really holding um, brands to continual um, higher and higher standards of what they will and will not allow. And it's an evolving process and brands are going to have to change with them. And so I think that's a great resource is going to those clean retailers because you're going to see exactly what they stand for and they're going to tell you why. Yes, the the curation and editing that um, a retailer with that kind of focus, uh, that, that gives the customer comfort. Yeah. And it also takes the edge off, right? Like, I don't need to do the research because Folane did it for me. Yeah. Right? Um, and by the way, I'm a super huge Folane fan. I feel like Folane is the future. I, Tara <laughs> Foley, I, I, I adore her as a friend, um, as a colleague, as an inspiration. I adore. I adore. Yeah, we're super fans of um, their stores. Okay. So we have a few minutes left. I uh-huh. want to talk um, like really practical entrepreneur stuff, like yeah. how to run your business as you want to start evolving and growing and scaling. So you were self-funded in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your process in your mind when you're like, you know what? I need outside investors. I need smart money. Like, Tell us a little bit about what was happening in the business because we have a lot of listeners who might be um, you know, getting to that point. I think one of the best little things you just, well, the whole, this whole conversation, but you made an, a great comment, smart money. For me, it wasn't just money. It was smart. I needed somebody who had the expertise to scale the business and had the connections. So, you know, I I came from entertainment. I didn't know the buyers or how to have a conversation with a buyer to get what I needed or to provide them. I didn't know what was normal when all of a sudden you're saying, wait, store support, what do you mean? Or wait, I need to give you sampling and wait, it's not just little things like, you know, I didn't know what that meant. And so I was really, I got, we got to a point where I needed to make money. Like I had kids who were going to look at college. And so I was getting the look like, yo, like college time, we're going to need to do something here. Um, So it was that and wearing too many hats. I mean, way too many hats. There were like three of us in the company and I'm like, okay, this can't, this can't continue. And I literally looked up to the sky and I'm like, okay, universe, I need a sign. I need help. And a couple of people would call, you know, you get those, those things. And, you know, we weren't at that point where we were doing the type of money, you know, and then you, you have to trust your gut too. I got an email from Lori Perella Krebs who said, Hey, I'm this, you know, I'm Lori, blah, 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 blah. This is what I've done for Kai, the whole thing. Right. And I'm working with this private equity firm and I'm really thinking about clean and I love your story. Um, Do you have a few minutes? And I don't know why I was willing to say, yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. I'm free now. The rest is history. And we, we, we call it, we dated where we kind of worked together to see if this is the right thing. Because again, I wanted someone who had experience in the beauty industry, who could build a company, knew how to find the right sales team and put them together, understood what stores really needed. And we did that and um, look where we are. It's been incredible. But use your gut too. It gets to a point where you're like, I can't scale this. I need help. But some don't. Another thing I would say is what you think you need, multiply it by minimum of three. Right. Because you don't know what you don't know. No. I'm like, oh, we need a couple hundred thousand dollars. No, we didn't. <laughs> we, need a, we need millions of dollars to get to the scale of where we are and what we wanted to do. And you have to have that reality conversation with yourself. And I also knew I would rather have a smaller piece of this company that was creating the mission that I wanted to from that doctor's office 
versus having a lot of something that nobody knew about. Right. I mean, this is like watching Shark Tank, right? Like, just take the offer. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you squabbling over like two percentage yeah. points? This is ridiculous. Um, right. Like having um, having mm-hmm. opportunity be put in front of you um, and say no to it because of like, you know, I guess ego or whatever, you know, this like inflated sense of um, mm-hmm. value. Um, I mean, that's like the Shark Tank story. I love Shark Tank. My kids and I watch it together. So much fun with that show. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I mean, but there's a lot of truth to that. You need to realize they actually know you need a heck of a lot more than you think because there's so much you're not thinking about. Legal fees for trademark, IP, scaling, you know, the minimums on buying, you know, the bespoke jars and bottles and all those things. You, You just don't you don't realize like you can't buy 500 of the jars that are perfectly screened with your name across 20 SKUs. Like it's just not going to happen. So you have to be in reality too. Indeed. I love this conversation. I'm so excited that we get to spend time together today and that you're sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Indy. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes and for updates about the show, Follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.